G'day, you are listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Hoo Ha Group. You're here with John and Dave, and we're sitting outside in Cooparoo having a coffee. So we're going to have to talk quite loudly. And today we're talking about, John, two articles you've written, recently been published this year, hmm. that broadly focus on the change in activist or radical left language. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So one on the rise of rights and human rights discourse, mm-hmm. and the other yeah, on yeah. the disappearance of the term liberation. Yeah, yeah. They're kind of interconnected on that on that point where I want to talk about how has this idea of human rights come to prominence within kind of what you could call quite activist discourse, I suppose, as well as the disappearance of these older forms. You could call them these older frames of reference that largely emerged in the 60s and 70s, won't even emerged, but were kind of re-emerged or were reappropriated in the 60s and 70s by various social movements. And, the, and so there's a historical tra- transformation in this language. Yeah, and yeah. Well, so why is this important? Um, you wrote these two articles. You obviously I did write these two articles. something important yeah. about it. I kind Tell of got, I think I was interested in it for one thing. I mean, well, what's interesting, I guess, is with the the publication of Dan Paul's and God's Police in, in 1975. So this is a book by Anne Summers. Anne Summers, pretty well known Australian feminist academic historian. She wrote this book at a time at the peak of the second wave feminist movement. Yeah, peak of that of that upsurge, which is you know incredibly significant. Probably the most significant of this. You know, it's hard to draw these distinctions necessarily, but you know, one of the most important social movements of the of the 60s and 70s. So she writes this book at a time when there's a, a particular set of, of discourses and terms yep. being used by the left to talk about our, pro- to talk about our su- projects. I just mean, how successful yeah. is this book? Is this oh, just very successful? By- yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's, it sells something ridiculous about like 200,000 copies in Australia. Like, yeah. it's actually being read not just by, you know, the, the left intelligentsia, what, what Chris Kenny or someone would call the Twitterati today, but, you know, something a bit more, a bit more wide. So, so 200,000 so 200, yeah. copies are sold yeah. in the mid-70s. Yeah, that's right. Now, I, I must admit I've never read this book, yeah, and I yeah. have a standard kind of, you know, what you learn at uni history about 70s feminism. Yeah, yeah. Was that kind of development of radical feminism, socialist divisions, yeah. was that replicated in Australia, or was there some kind of unique element of the debate too? I think that there was... I think that, well... Dan Paul's and God's Police is a book about the women's it's a women's history of Australia. It's the first yeah. time that anyone tried to write a history of Australia specifically from the feminist perspective, specifically telling the history of women. So I know it's very clear the the, the, the theoretical um, argument made is that you know women in Australia the experience is either as damned whores, so people who are completely um, kind of apart from society, yeah. people who act as kind of the, the um, the anti-moral argument, the sort of like not not to be, yeah. and obviously then the flip side of this being God's police as the enforcers of morality and the yeah. enforcers, and often the the one woman can embody both of these traits, you know. But the, this is the theoretical division that she sees in Australian settler society. Um, I don't think she maps this across other settler societies, but this is a very specifically Australian argument. But the the toolkit that she's relying on is specifically glo- is is very global as well. Yeah. So she's looking at this kind of liberation, these ideas of second wave feminism that are international, but they are very much coming to Australia and she's applying them in a specifically Australian context into a specifically Australian market. And so what, what role does the concept of liberation play in her work? Well, I think liberation for, for Summers in the book is, is the all-encompassing notion of change. Like, she, she basically defines liberation. If I, you allow me to say this, yeah. liberation is all about altering the most fundamental tenets of our social organisation. So this is actually from the final chapter of her book, 
called Prospects for Liberation. So um, it is about abolishing privilege and exploitation and consolidated power. Unless the interrelation of all determinants of an oppressed person's existence are taken into account, then we are not talking about liberation. We are merely concerned with juggling the levels of the existing social hierarchy. The concept of liberation explicitly challenges the present distribution of power and the fact that a small group of people control the lives of the majority. And so, what's happened to this concept? Um, a lot because of things Because recently was a celebration of this book. That's right, yeah. So the reason I read the article is that it was 40 years on and, and there was a significant conference held um, attended by everyone from, from Penny Wong through to, um, you know, kind of radical academics from the time like Dennis Altman and obviously Summers herself attended it. And I mean, it was... Did you go? I didn't go because the cost was prohibitive. And it was Which is interesting, right? Like, yeah, so yes, we... yeah. So it was, a, it was a conference for the political class. Let's not, let's not pretend this was a, even a proper academic conference, let alone an activist conference. Yeah. This was a, a conference that seemed, you know, to be largely of the of the political class. You wouldn't be able to go unless you were being sponsored by an organization, yeah. effectively. Um, and yeah, so this work's been thoroughly recuperated, I guess you could say, into the standard narrative of feminism today, which is very different to the liberation ideas. The ideas of second wave feminism. So, but what's happened? What? So, you're uh, you argue in this article that the concept yeah. of liberation has disappeared. What's it been hmm. replaced by? Well, I think we need to look at this as a as a as a process and looking at the, the construction of ideas and how ideas work in capitalist society. I mean, Marx says that that the the ruling ideas are always those of the ruling class, right? So, we can say human. That there's a rise of a new type of language that emerges, kind of in the in the 80s and 90s, which is which is this. The idea of, of human rights, of an mm-hmm. individual's right to certain things within society, and often these rights are defined as against the state. So the right to freedom of speech or the right to um, the, just the, these sorts of in- individualized rights, I guess, I guess you could say. So it's a shift in language that reflects shifts in the kind of coordinates of politics mm-hmm. and the coordinates of, of even economic life as we enter a more atomized economic existence post the uh, the crash in the seventies. I'll let that truck pass. That was very loud. Um, so there's this crash in the seventies, and you know, then after this, we get the rise of the new right discourse. And I mean, like I say in, in the other article that I read for Upswell magazine, a fantastic little initiative out of Sydney, I, I, I said that human rights could be read as the kind of the politics of a post-political era, the politics of this kind of so what do you mean by right that claim a politics of, of the post-political well I mean the, the idea now that we have entered a kind of a, a, way, a terrain where no longer there are collective solutions to problems but there are mm-hmm. individual solutions to problems there are individualised politics where all individuals competing in a marketplace for jobs or you know where we're, we're all individuals who's determined by our own success and as such of course our political language shifts to that shifts back to that to the individual shifts to the to the power of the of the individual and the need for the individual to have certain to have certain rights and access to certain things, so rather making... than seeing the world as being framed around collective notions of struggle and, and the need to change society, like Summer says, the liberation needs to be about all every aspect of an oppressed person's existence within the collective of their existence. So I guess there's two following-on questions. Mm. Why do you think this change has happened, mm. and does it matter? Does mm. the language that does mm. the the language of critique matter? Mm. I think. So let's go first question and then second because I feel like they'll feed into each other. What happens to the language of liberation? There's a number of things that happen. I mean, the first I've already pointed out is that you know there's the rise of 
the defeat, I guess, the historic defeat of the new left and of those social movements. You know, in some ways, you could see it as a defeat. Some might also frame it as a bit of a as a bit of a victory. In that, you know, there have been significant legislative changes in in Australia and around the world that have improved a lot of women um, than what they were in the in the in the sixties. This is true, you know. But equally, nothing like the societal level transformation that was requested or demanded. No one requested anything yeah. that was demanded by the women's liberation movement. But equally, there are you know the the idea of liberation itself was was very specific to a historical time frame. I mean, the idea of liberation and the, the whole kind of language of that era came from the New Left. So the women's movement borrowed this off the New Left. The New Left, in turn, borrowed this off the, um, off the Third World struggles in, in Vietnam, who, in turn, borrowed it off the French, um, off, off French political language originating in the, in the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a... This language develops in a very specific time frame. And the idea of liberation appeals to lots of different social groups at the time, from... Um, from the Black Power movement to uh, to the women's movement to the then into the into the gay movement, these movements all appreciate this because they're struggling for collective goals. They view themselves as struggling for collective goals, goals of societal transformation, but within the broader context of an of an all encompassing critique. Mm -hmm. So this is this is what's happening at, at that time, and that really declines in the 70s as a result of, of the new right, but also as a result of sort of the failings of the Third World Revolution, which we can don't need to go into too much. You know, the Pol Pot stands as the worst example of, of the failures of, of that liberation movement. So, I mean, and a lot of the new leftists who once espoused liberation then became kind of fly-in humanitarians. You know? So there's a shift, particularly in the French case, from That's kind right, of people yeah, who, yeah. Are, who are on the real kind of fire and brimstone mm. side of French ultra-left Maoism mm. To then becoming yeah. the new philosophers and small L liberals. That's right, and also forming things like Doctors Without Borders yeah. and, and other other groups, you know, that, that kind of take elements of this new left language but really transform into something completely different. So is, this this combination between yeah. like the the defeat of the movements of the seventies yeah, and then yeah. I think also what what I would want to reinforce is the kind yeah. of transformation of the composition of capital as well. Yeah. The way that you, know, yeah, you talk yeah. about the rise of the new right, yeah. that happens as part of a particular mm. capitalist counter-revolution yep. that reorganises work, yep. reorganises yep. Clark, yep. class, and in yep. some ways works to dissipate the previously existing collective identities. Yeah. Yep. You know, the, um, yep. That's really important. All of that, what you've said, is, yeah. is really fundamentally important. And I don't mean to neglect that by talking about the new right as an idea. In fact, I, I generally have a distaste for mm. people who view these things purely at the idea at the level of the idea. But so what what's the cost that we mm. no longer talk of liberation mm. but now talk of rights mm. in a general mm. sense when we want to frame some mm. kind of demand or criticism of the society we live mm. in? Well I mean I think we can just look at a few concrete examples. I mean if we look at, you know, for instance, how do we deal with collective responses to racism in Australia? Yeah. One of the key ways in which racism gets dealt with is through um, Organisations at the state level, like the Human Rights Commission. And which way for this truck? That truck was particularly loud. It um, was. Now, so we've got these groups like the Australian Human Rights Commission who will yeah. organise things like Racism It Stops With Me. Yeah. This Racism It Stops With Me campaign. I went to a event that was, um, I, as a result of work, I had to go to this uh, thing that was, that was organised around on this level. And really, it's just about how can I as an individual stop the problems of mm. racism? How can I as an individual go out there and, and, and you know, intervene in a bus conflict, you know, between a, a, a white racist and a, and a, and a person of, of, of cultural difference, which obviously you, we should be doing at the individual level just because we're decent people. But that's not a politics in and of itself. It's not a collective politics that says, how do we understand racism? Where does mm -hmm. racism come from? There's, these questions aren't asked. Racism is seen as a pre-existing trait that some people have. Yeah. 
and that we just need to educate them to get them out of that. Now, now you mentioned before that you consider kind of rights discourse mm. to be framed as opposed to the state. Yeah, but yeah. couldn't you also say that rights discourse always explicitly or, impl- or maybe implicitly is the word yeah. I'm looking for, mm. relies on the state there as the enforcer mm. of mm. rights. You know, this mm. reminds me of Wendy Brown's masterful essay, Wounded Attachments, yeah. in her book, States of Injury, where yep. she says there's a tra- transformation of, of feminist political um, mm. uh, understandings of the, of the world. And she's writing in 95. Yeah, well, and that's yeah. more common. She's not saying feminist political understandings of the world. She's saying there's a transformation in the politicisation of identity. Mm. And she's saying in the mid-90s when there's a kind of politics based around identity as in terms of being an, a wounded self, mm. it's almost like it, it necessarily calls on the state to step in as a saviour. And she's yeah. comparing this, I think, unfavourably to the feminist politics of the 70s, yeah. which was based on an understanding of the collective capacity for transformation yeah. and mm. an understanding of the world where the state was a central target of critique. You know, That's the right. state yeah, was yeah. a core patriarchal mm. and capitalist institution that That's needed right. to be overcome. Yep. In the mm. process of emancipation, yeah. and that collectively women, as part of broader yeah. social transformations, could do that. That's right. And then yep. Wendy Brown's arguing by '95 we hit this idea where the state is now the necessary saviour. And look, it's a more complicated and no. nuanced no. argument. No. No. And so I wonder when you're talking about the rise of rights, mm. there's a rising idea that the state is mm. no longer seen as being central to the, that mm. system yeah. that liberation opposed. Yeah. But the yeah. state is the force you need to call on yeah. to step in. And in, yeah. against the bad bigots, for yeah, example. That's true. I'm thinking in the international context, for instance, when you have responsibility to protect, it relies on the state to enforce those rules as well. Yeah. However, it also is opposed to bad states, saying that there are bad states out there mm. who enforce negative policies against people. Yeah. Like, you know, there's, they, they don't have freedom of political participation, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech. You know, this is the Amnesty International yeah. crowd campaigning against particular, often third world governments who have these... Um, Regressive some laws and whatnot, and they all they rely on the state. So they're anti-state at the same time as they enforce and rely. And this is the contradictory nature of rights and the contradictory nature of the new right in general. You could say is the fact that they talk about that the state needs to get itself out of poli- the state needs to get itself out of people's lives. But increasingly, they say the only way to do that is by the state intervening more in people's okay, lives. Okay, but so so why should we care? You know, mm. so if we're talking about not just the the role of rights in terms of the language of the political class and those mm. that see themselves as, but in terms of the disappearance or the, yeah. of liberation amongst people who are critical and mm. the rise of rights as the framework. Mm. You know, maybe a classic example shifting from feminism to industrial relations. You know, yeah, yeah. workers' rights, something yeah, worth yeah. voting for, slash yes. fighting for. Yes. Why yes. does it matter that rights is now the framework? What are, you Because know, I, I, your pieces are critical. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the cost? What's the cost? Look, I, I don't, firstly, I'm not a sage here to tell anybody how I think that they should organise in any given time or what languages they should use because I feel like language evolves spontaneously and as a result of social movements themselves. Like language it develops around the economic, political realities of the time, but social movements have a big part in shaping that language as well. But I think you know that what we get from human rights is what we get from our political conjuncture in general, which is a very individualised politics that doesn't view there to be the possibility of a broad social transformation would be my general critique of rights it doesn't allow us to view a world beyond capitalism it allows us to view a world where there are slightly more rights where you might have slightly more ability to have freedom of expression you might have less you know domestic violence you may have less um you know might have less 
date rape, for instance, and these sorts of things that are about changing mentalities. And that's all beneficial, obviously. We want less of these things. We, we don't want... We, 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 we want to be able to struggle within capitalism for the amelioration of negative conditions. But equally, I, I, I don't think that that provides us with the language and with, this, with the possibilities of utopias that exist beyond, I think, the state level so you're and our current conjuncture. So you, you're talking about these transformations of language on a, in a historical yeah. way. You've obviously yeah. written these pieces because you want these to change. That's right. Can yeah. we consciously attempt mm. to transform mm. languages of critique? Mm. Well, this is what interests me and I kind of want to look at a bit in, as I get into this project if you know, anybody decides to fund me to do it anymore so I don't have to do my public service job. I can focus more time on it. But I think um, in general terms, social movements, as I said, reflect and change language. More that what, what, what social movements do is is change the way the society thinks. So, for instance, um, as Summers mentions in some of her writing on the 40th anniversary, that words like domestic violence, sexual violence, um, you know, date rape, these, these claims, these sorts of ideas didn't exist in the 70s. Mm -hmm. There was no word to describe this because it was just seen as kind of normal that a woman would be beaten by, um, by, a, by a man or that, you know, that a woman would have to have sex within marriage. You know, that they, they, these are all just things that were so taken for granted as to appear as normal. They didn't need a word. So obviously social movements can create words, can create frameworks and can, in the long term, change the very language with which we use. But I mean, I'm not sure what the next step is in terms of language because, you know, A, we, we whoever we are, as yeah. a radical left, have so little sway over this in general. I think it's just important to be conscious of the sort of language that, that, that activists use and be conscious of the limitations of that language do, do, that would we you, use. Would you advise people to go back to Summer's book from the 70s, mm. yeah. look at that use of the concept of liberation and yeah. see if it can be yeah. excavated and applied today. I, I think, I don't necessarily believe that historical excavation is necessary. I mean, I think it's important to go back and look at the process, look at her critical process, like what Lenin did on, during, after World War I broke out, the Second International Collapse. He retreated for a while and read some Hegel and came back with a better idea about something more politically appropriate and applicable to the time, right? So I think that what Summers is doing is mounting a critique of various languages at the time, but in so doing, supporting a particular language, like the idea of liberation, like she saw holes in it. In interestingly, you know, she, she critiques liberation as well as being like this almost advertising language, you know? Mm -hmm. The advertisers have taken the language of liberation and said, you know, that now washing machines promise to liberate women from domestic work. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating the name of a furniture company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Freedom is the name of a furniture company, you know? Like, and it's now, you know... You Everything's pretty much a human right now, you know, a human human right to soft drink, human right to coal. Apparently yeah. now we apparently now the third world has a right to coal. And interestingly enough, a boral cement truck is going past as it you is. mentioned that. It is. None dare call it conspiracy. None dare <laughs> none dare call it conspiracy, indeed. But I think it's it's just important to, you know, be conscious of the sort of language that that we're using in general. When 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 we when we talk in the in the public and political arena, because we can easily buy into the sort of rhetorical and political toolkit of our enemies yeah well I, I wonder if you could even you know not not being a historian if we could even be harsher and try to like expunge the term of rights from our vocabulary yeah I think I think it think it might be might be helpful to maybe we could imagine new terms all right well I think we've almost finished our coffee and we probably have to get back to work I think we do all right you've been listening to uh, living the dream the podcast of the hoo-ha group I'll make sure that we link to those two articles mm -hmm. thanks for that John not a problem. All right, and I don't know what to end on. No, Final we'll, thoughts? I think next week 
next week, next month, whenever we get around to doing this again, we might talk a bit about Queensland. I, I we're at the present yeah, I, I think probably at the moment we'll try to, uh, there's been such a lull in the podcasts mm. that we'll try to get one out once every one or two yeah. weeks. So I think yeah. next week we'll, we'll be looking at um, Queensland under labour. Yeah, yeah. Easy times in the workers' paradise. And referring back to an article you wrote on, on your With Sober Senses blog. About, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think, we, think, we, think we, could, we could look at that as kind of an example, I guess, of... Of, of, of the kind of the end of the boom and what this means. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Okay. Sounds well, good. thanks for being with us. Um, please feel free to comment on the on the blog and all those kind of things. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day.